This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of The Overcomers, God's Vision for You to Thrive in an Age of Anxiety and Outrage, written and narrated by pastor and best-selling author Matt Chandler, and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture, brought to you by Dallas Theological Seminary. Hello, welcome to The Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. My name is Bill Hendricks. I'm the Executive Director for Christian Leadership at the Hendricks Center, and I want to welcome you today. And today we're going to talk about a fairly personal and intimate issue, our our sexuality. And we're going to look at sexuality from a biblical perspective by inviting two experts in this field who have a organization called Authentic Intimacy. And I want to welcome Dr. Julie Slattery, who is the founder and president of Authentic Intimacy, and she is a clinical psychologist, and her colleague, Dr. Joy Skarka, who is director of discipleship for AI, and I might point out is also a Dallas Seminary grad. Ladies, welcome to the the Table podcast. Thanks for having us. We're thrilled to be here. Thank you, Bill. I'm excited to do this again with you. Well, welcome back. I got to tell you, you fill me with interest as I ponder this subject and look over the resources that you've you've developed on it. Um, your vision, you said in, in your on your website, boils down to two words: uh, sexual discipleship. That's a new term for me. I've not heard that one before. I certainly believe in the concept of discipleship, and in fact, believe that discipleship is whole life discipleship. It extends to every area of life, which of course includes our sexuality, but uh, never really talked about uh, uh, sexual discipleship. So uh, maybe, a, maybe a good place to start. Julie, you're a co-founder uh, with Linda Dillo of Authentic Intimacy. Tell us even how this came about in your story. We're what led you to develop this organization? Uh, I'd love to share that. Uh, Bill, I was a working in marriage and family type ministry as a psychologist um, since the time I got out of school, just a real heart for women and for uh, marriage and family issues as a clinician. And then I spent four, t- four years working at Focus on the Family in that capacity. And during my four years at Focus on the Family, the Lord just began to take me on a very personal journey of pursuing his heart. And during that season, he just laid on my heart this burden for sexual brokenness, um, particularly sexual brokenness among Christian women that wasn't being given a voice. And I felt like the church at best was sort of dropping care packages of information without really getting in the trenches of what women were struggling with. And so I had written on sexuality in the past in relation to marriage and spoken on it. But uh, at this point, I really just felt like the Lord was asking me to sort of do a deep dive and to start creating resources that would be helpful for women. Uh, And that was about 10 years ago. And since that time, the ministry has really grown and morphed into not just a women's ministry, but really an all-church ministry Um, So we also do a lot of training with Christian leaders on how do you approach sexuality with more of a discipleship and gospel focus instead of it being more a problem issue that we're just trying to get rid of. Uh, So that's kind of the heart behind it, and it certainly has been a faith walk 
ever since the Lord called me to it. I can only imagine. And I'm sure that you, you know, over the years have, have run into plenty of people, particularly in our culture, who they would say, well, frankly, the church is the, is the problem of why sexuality yes. is, is so problematic for people. How do you respond to that? Well, I would say the church isn't the reason it's so problematic, but I'd also say that the church hasn't done a great job historically of helping us navigate these issues. Hmm. So while uh, as God's people, we have his truth related to every area of life, including sexuality, some of the ways that we've addressed or not addressed sexual issues has added to the shame uh, towards people feeling stuck. And so you mentioned that term sexual discipleship. It's a term that I started thinking about probably about five years into the journey, and I recognized in working with so many Christians on this topic that we essentially had been sexually discipled by the culture. Hmm. And at best, the church had been giving information on what should you think about sex before marriage or what should you think about having a gay identity but we weren't training people in how to think biblically about their sexuality and how to walk that out in the trenches of life. And so although it's an odd pairing of words, I think it really uh, focuses on how we need to change the approach to sexual issues in our day and age with more of a discipleship mentality coming out of our commitment to Christ rather than it being more of a separated or segmented category uh, that we're trying to fix or we're trying to figure out. So uh, it's, again, a journey that's been evolving for us as a ministry. Yeah. Joy, let me let me direct this question to you. You're the director of discipleship there at Authentic Intimacy. Um, and so this let's, let's work with this term, sexual discipleship. Um, I, I don't know, maybe this isn't the right way to put it, but can you give us a crash course, you know, a one-on-one well, I mean, where does where does the understanding of of sexual discipleship begin, and where does it take us? Yes, Bill. So, what we have discovered is so much of this starts with ourselves, and working through our own sexual issues, and and realizing that we're all sexually broken, and how do we follow God with our sexuality? And so, we actually have a membership platform where hundreds of Christian leaders, we have pastors, teachers lay leaders, small group leaders are all joining us and processing through their own sexual discipleship so that then they can have a better understanding foundation so that they can begin discipling those around them. And so that looks like practically is we have different online groups, we call them cohorts or online book studies, where people are studying God's word, what does it say about sexuality, and how can we apply this to our ministries. And it has been powerful to see some of these Christian leaders who for the first time are acknowledging their own issues, mm. their own brokenness. In fact, in one group, we had a, a woman, she has been serving in ministry for 20 plus years. And she said that was the first time she had ever said the word masturbation out mm. loud. And so just things like this happen in our groups all the time where people have these little glimpses of freedom and then are able to then go help the people in their churches. And I, I, understand or assume that that people can get more information about those groups at your website uh, authenticintimacy.com is that correct yes yeah, so we have two different websites we have authenticintimacy.com and we talk about that as resources for the average person trying to understand god's design for sexuality and then we have a second 
website called sexualdiscipleship.com. And this is our leader platform with e-courses, training videos, podcasts, resources to help Christian leaders understand how to navigate this conversation like we're having today. That's outstanding. So you mentioned the the particular woman who, you know, struggled even to articulate sexual terms and so forth that that, that like there was a new thing for her and in doing so you sort of raised the curtain a little bit on this huge massive issue of of shame that many people feel around sexuality. And in fact, you yourself uh, in your dissertation uh, talked with over a thousand women, interviewed a thousand women about this very issue of shame. I, I'd love for you to share with more about that with our listeners and, and what you discovered in that process. It was such a powerful project. So I surveyed and interviewed over a thousand women and got to hear their stories of how they experienced sexual shame. And so it was a lot of stories of conversations that they had in church culture and from relationships, different addictions, different abusive situations. And it all boiled down to this feeling of something being so wrong with these women that they thought no one would love them, that God wouldn't even love them, that they couldn't be forgiven. And so it caused some of these women to walk away from church, their faith, and to kind of hide. Uh, So relationally, it caused a lot of damage. And so what I saw, so I got to hear all these stories, but then we got to talk about the hope that how Jesus had set so many of these women free from the sexual shame they experienced. And so one of the big pieces of this was understanding God's design for sexuality. So many of the women said they didn't know that it was okay to have sexual desire and curiosities and questions, but how to steward that, how to live out sexual integrity. And so being able to understand that, that's kind of why what we're so passionate about in our ministry is to help people process this, that this is okay and good to have. God created us as sexual beings, but how do we steward it, not just in singleness, but also in marriage? Hmm. Julie, uh, I, I love the idea that you all are working with leaders and, and, uh, and through that, you know, able to to get to uh, sort of everyday Christians, which is exactly what needs to happen. What do you do with the the criticism that I know some probably are thinking? Well, man, if we if we start talking about these issues with our people, that, that that's going to lead to no good. I mean, if if nothing else, it's going to tempt people to go places they shouldn't go just because they're they're thinking about sex too much. How do you deal with that? Yeah. Um- that sort of is like an, sort of an empty question in some ways, because we know that in every church and every organization and every family, uh, these issues are represented. People are struggling with pornography and sexual addiction. They're struggling with the fallout of sexual trauma from their past, both men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that marriages are struggling um, to understand what is what does sexual wholeness even look like and how do we overcome the barriers that we run into. We know Christian singles are wrestling with why am I sexual in the first place? And then, of course, the issues that are coming up more in our day and age with gender confusion and same-sex attraction and how do we navigate this uh, in our own lives and families, but also as we interact with a culture that has a very different perspective on sexuality. It used to be, Bill, that when we would go to a church, they would raise that objection of, well, we don't struggle with those things. We don't want to introduce this conversation. 
But I would say within the last five years or so, we have the churches coming to us saying, we realize that not only do we need to have this conversation, but we don't even know where to start. Uh, unfortunately, we really have um, adopted this heritage of we don't talk about these things. Hmm. And uh, I know we sometimes even would quote your father, Bill, and say, I think he put it, we shouldn't be ashamed to talk about what God wasn't ashamed to create. Hmm. And he really was one of the pioneers in just even challenging the church to have hard conversations. Uh, but nowadays, we hardly meet a Christian leader who who isn't fully aware of the fact that not only is this an issue, it is perhaps the most pressing issue, causing um, Christians to deconstruct from a faith in God, uh, causing them to question his goodness. And so most Christian leaders we find are very ready to have this conversation and eager to have it in a way that is both grounded in biblical truth uh, and also compassionate related to the real pain and issues people are walking through. Well, you're right. There is a, a cone of silence for many, many churches and Christian groups around it. How do we I, – I, let's press into having the conversation. How do you uh, siphon the shame off? I know that doesn't happen immediately. How, do you, how would a group, a congregation, a, a small group, a group of Christians who want to get serious about sexual discipleship begin to talk and have conversations that are of a sexual nature when yeah. certainly from the very beginning many of them are like man i'm really feeling uncomfortable i, I don't know if i want to go there you know and yeah. for some as as has been pointed out it's it's literally re-traumatizing them from things that have happened to them in the past so as a yeah. as a psychologist what's your what's your approach yeah. Um, so first of all, you're absolutely right that it's not just that we talk about sexuality, but how we talk about it. Um, talking about it with reverence and with dignity and with sensitivity um, to know that there are real triggers there. Uh, and so typically I will begin by um, even just talking about how we think about sexual issues. And I think one of the mistakes that we make in churches, we go after the specific issues or symptoms or problems. So you might hear a sermon series on LGBT issues or a sermon series on pornography, and it makes people feel uh, called out. It makes them feel shame, and it makes them feel like they're the only ones that may have a struggle. And so we really encourage organizations to talk first holistically about why did God create sex in the first place? What's the purpose of our sexuality? What are the counterfeit narratives that we've grown up believing, whether they're narratives that come from the culture or more legalistic understanding of sexuality? And then why is sex such a spiritual battleground? Why does the enemy want to defeat it so much? Why is it so tied into our identity? And so we really encourage churches to begin with that conversation and then start walking out of that with a phrase that we use all the time that Joy already mentioned, we are all sexually broken. Mm -hmm. And I think this really helps, um, again, connect our sexuality even to the gospel message that none of us are righteous, even if our actions have been quote unquote pure. We have hearts that want to uh, really defile and misuse every good gift that God has given, including sexuality. And so when we lay that groundwork and we let people know, hey, we're all on a trajectory towards integrity, towards asking God to reclaim this area of our lives, 
it really does open a conversation where people begin to feel safe asking their more specific questions. Hmm. And can I speak to that too, yes, Bill? And, absolutely. Um, I think what something that Julie does really well in our ministry and as she's at these speaking events is she really leads with humility. And so when we say we're all sexually broken, she shows it too. You'll, she'll share some stories from her life or um, she'll have people come up and, and share testimonies of how we have experienced maybe someone who struggled with pornography and found freedom or is still struggling with an issue in, in their marriage. So really showing other people's stories that aren't all wrapped up in a bow um, helps people realize, hey, we're all on the sanctification journey to become more like Christ. And we're here to partner in that with you to walk on this journey. And it is powerful after some of our events or our groups, people line up to talk to us, to share. They want to share their story because they feel so safe and, and seen. And so we really encourage our leaders to create these safe environments so that in a small group setting, people can feel that safety to share their stories and begin that freedom healing journey. Well, I was going to ask, um, I feel certain that we have listeners that are struggling, say, with pornography, and they're leaders in a church, their pastors or youth leaders or whoever, and they're thinking, man, I'd love to be able to open up about this and begin to deal with this and have tried at different times. But boy, if I, if I sort of outed myself um, and the leaders, the, the elders or whoever found out about this, I mean, uh, they'd show me the door like yesterday. So how, how would you advise, what would be your recommendation to somebody who wants to come to grips with, you know, a, a brokenness there and a habit that they know is killing them, but at the same time, they feel desperate, like, I don't, I don't know how to get out of this without some serious repercussions professionally. Yeah, um, Joy, do you want to share a little bit about your testimony first, and then maybe I can respond to, uh, to just church culture and environment and how we need to change that? Hmm. Yeah, so this is a part of my story, Bill. I was a freshman in college, I just walked through a sexual trauma as a freshman in college and had no sex education. And so I turned to pornography to try and find answers to what had happened to me and it quickly became my coping mechanism. And so here I was uh, also a new believer in Christ, mm. leading small groups for a college ministry, trying to figure all this out. And it really took another woman to go first and to share her story of how she struggled and how she found freedom for me to feel comfortable to share my story. And so a lot of what um, I challenge different church leaders to do is to have other women begin having conversations. So this is an acceptable thing to talk about, but also creating this safety of, hey, if, if you come forward and ensure that you're struggling with pornography and say you're a church so you're a small group leader for a church or you're a, a youth pastor. We have something in place to help you so that there is that safety of, okay, you're not going to get fired on the spot for coming forward and, and sharing that. So and I, Julie, I know you're going to talk into that some more. But um, so, for example, at my church, we have created this sort of small group where, hey, if you're a woman that has come forward, we're going to provide this safe place with other women who are trained leaders and who maybe have gone through a similar struggle that can help you process through your story and begin um, finding healing. 
Yeah, I'd love to speak into that in terms of church culture. And that's actually something that we found that so needs to be addressed and changed because we really do have this environment where not only are you not allowed to sin, you're also not allowed to struggle. Hmm. And there's the assumption that if you're a spiritual leader and you're reading your Bible, you won't be struggling with anything sexual. And it really does create this atmosphere where leaders feel like I have nowhere to go. Like if I even admit that my marriage is struggling or that I'm struggling with a certain sexual temptation, I may lose my job. And so we do a lot of work, again, just with leadership teams in terms of how do you change that that culture and that environment where we actually get back to what's more biblical, that we're all on a journey of maturity. We're all on a journey of surrender. We all face temptations uh, and really help a team or even a ministry realize that what we really want is people with so much integrity that when they begin to struggle, they come forward with that. Uh, that's a more mature Christian than somebody that feels like they have to be double-faced, they have to keep their sin secret, and then they present the image of a leader on the outside. And that will take a culture change. We see that happening in some of the organizations that we work with. For example, even the questions that you ask on an application or in an interview process is the question, do you struggle with pornography or another sexual sin? That's the current question. But asking a question instead, something like, you know, how has sexual struggle played into your spiritual journey? Hmm. And what kind of accountability or resources are you currently involved in, in just surrendering that area to God? So it begins with the assumption that you are going to struggle. It's normal to struggle. And particularly for Christian leaders, this is an area that the enemy will come after. And if we're not actively engaging in maturity, maturity and discipleship and accountability, we really set ourselves up for kind of that battle by ourselves that we're probably destined at some point to lose. This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Nine Lives and Counting, a bounty hunter's journey to faith, hope, and redemption. Written by Dwayne Dog the Bounty Hunter Chapman. Nine Lives and Counting not only offers a fresh perspective on well-known life events, but also ventures into behind-the-scenes territory and backstories never shared publicly. Nine Lives and Counting is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Visit thomasnelson.com audio to learn more. I have to ask, um, both at a sort of psychological level and a spiritual level, uh, it, it does seem that uh, sexuality has such a powerful uh, impact and, and, if I can say the word, hold on people. There's something about that experience of life that is, is um, very, very gripping. Um, why is that? And, and what do we do about that? Yeah, I think the power that it has in our lives even speaks to uh, the significance with which God created it. Mm. And so we talk a lot at Authentic Intimacy about how our sexuality is, is actually a living metaphor of our need for covenant relationship mm. and God's covenant love for us. And when we read the scripture from cover to cover, which I know most Dallas grads, all Dallas grads yes. I'm sure have done, you see that sexuality is most often referenced in, uh, in 
the position of being a metaphor. Mm. Um, for example, in the Old Testament prophets, all the sexual language that is metaphorical of the covenant, the love relationship with God and his people and his call to faithfulness, his holy jealousy. Mm. And so we really believe that when you press into that metaphor, you can never separate sexuality from the spiritual and relational significance with which it was created. And our culture keeps trying to section it off, say uh, there's hookups, there's friends with benefits, this won't hurt you, uh, but you never can do that. And so sexual sin, as 1 Corinthians 6 says, is a sin against your own body. There's something very spiritual in the component of how our sexuality integrates um, with our temple, our bodies being the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so there's a mystery to that, but everything we see in research and in our just normal everyday experience would say sexuality is one of the pro most profound aspects of how God created us in his image for intimacy to be known and to be in relationship with him and here on planet earth. So that would be how I'd say that. Joy, would you want to add to that? I think I would just add in that our world, our culture is just trying to meet those legitimate needs and illegitimate ways. Julie, you talk about this a lot and I think it's so helpful and that, you know, God created us as sexual beings, but when we are turning to pornography or something else to meet those needs, um, it's, it's really not how God created it. And I think that's why we see this um, confusion in our culture or, well, hookup after hookup is never enough because of that. We're not satisfying that real need we have to be known and to be loved, which only God can fill. Well, and that links up with the, uh, again, the interviews that you did, but the, the uh, I also think that a lot of the power of sin lies in, in when it's a se secrecy. People, people, out of that shame, they, they cloak and try to hide what is actually true about them that they're ashamed of, and that, that makes it much worse, and it, and it has a certain hold on them, and, and the, the silence in and of itself can begin to break them down. You described to me the, the joy, the, the, uh, the sense of, of freedom that women had found once they were able to talk about things either that, that, that they had chosen to do or things that had been done to them. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, you know, part of the enemy's strategy, particularly related to sexuality, is to keep us hidden and in shame. And I think we're, even when we look at First John chapter 1, it talks about the difference between walking in light and walking in darkness. And sexual shame and sexual secrets and uh, temptations often have so much hold on our lives because we don't speak them out loud. And that's not the final cure-all, but it certainly is the first step for many, many people um, to come out of the light and be able to speak these things out loud. And and then, and, I'm sorry, go ahead, Joy. I was just going to add to that, that one of the most surprising things that came out of my research was the high percentage of women who, because of the sexual shame they experienced, doubted their salvation. Hmm. They just believed they were so far gone that God could never love and forgive and redeem them. And it makes me just think of the Genesis creation story where after Adam and Eve's sin, you know, they're hiding from God. Hmm. They experience sexual shame. They realize they're naked. They hide in a bush. 
And what does God do? I mean, God comes into the story and he calls them back into a relationship with them says, where are you? And he, he's calling them back. And so I just encourage all of the women that I minister to that, you know, nothing that you've done or has been done to you would ever be too far gone for God to love you and redeem you and forgive you. And so I think that message would break a lot of women free from this shame that they're experiencing. I, if you don't mind, I was going to ask you um, if if there was a particular story, obviously not getting into people's names and, and revealing their identities, but if if there was a person that you had run into in, in the course of your work along the way who, you know, was, was a perfect illustration of what you just said. Hmm. Yeah. Would you like me to share one, Joy? Uh, we sure. probably both have like a Rolodex. Maybe we could each share one. <laughs> I'm thinking of somebody that uh, that is involved with our ministry who actually was on the mission field and loved Jesus, um, but struggled with same-sex attraction and actually left the mission field, left her mission because of that struggle. She just couldn't reconcile it. And her faith started to deconstruct. And then somehow she found our ministry and got plugged into our resources, started going through some of our online Bible studies, and has been doing that over the course of the last year and a half, and really begun to reconcile her relationship with God, with her particular struggle, understand God's design for sexuality, but also understand that God still loves her and wants to use her and that she doesn't have to be ashamed of her struggle. Uh, and so she's now at a place where she's leading groups and, uh, you know, so on fire, not just for uh, the Lord in terms of the mission work, but also helping people understand how God is the redeemer of all things. And so that's somebody that I just spoke with this morning. So she's top of mind for me, um, but representative of just so many women, but also men and couples that we've seen that have just really been changed because they began hearing God's truth on sexuality with a realistic and loving perspective. Uh, what's one that comes to mind for you, Joy? Yeah, I was just thinking about, so we've been doing online book studies, these small groups that I've mentioned the last two years. And we found out today that over 600 people have gone through these groups. Mm -hmm. And so just thinking about, wow, 600 people that have experienced being able to, for some of them the first time, being able to talk about these things in a safe environment, I think that's just a powerful number of, of life change. And then how many, we've had close to 100 leaders come out of that too. So there is a lot of multiplication happening here, a lot of discipleship uh, at work in our ministry. So you you mentioned when you mentioned the mission field, uh, Julie. It uh, reminded me of something that I read that you you all talk about uh, when you say talking about sexuality is a necessary part of the Great Commission. That's a that's a new one for I think many of us to hear. Talk yeah. talk to us more about that. Where where does the Great Commission and sexuality come together? Yeah, boy, I see it intersecting so much. Um, if we break the Great Commission down, it's really these activities of evangelism, of sharing Christ's love, and then teaching people uh, to walk in the way that Jesus calls us to, the discipleship component. And so when we talk about sharing the love of Christ with people, we just even look at how many people are turned off to the gospel because of sexual issues. Mm. Um, when I talk to apologists or evangelists today, they will tell me 
the number one category of objections is uh, about being gay or about transgender or about sexual abuse. A, a loving God would not uh, behave this way or have these kinds of standards. And so that actually is a roadblock to most people that you're sharing the gospel with, particularly in the Western world. And if you can't be equipped in addressing that issue, you're going to lose people. But then we also look at for example, in John chapter four, Jesus's ministry to the woman at the well. Right. Um, John Piper said in reference to that passage that Jesus knew the quickest way to the heart was through a wound. And that's why he brought up her sexual shame, because that was the greatest wound in her life. And the same is really true for a lot of people that we were re are reaching for the gospel. The greatest wound in their life is uh, their divorce or an infidelity or their sexual addiction uh, or their broken gender identity. And if we can't step into that conversation with, with comfort and with knowledge and with a biblical perspective that goes beyond just quoting a Bible verse, then we won't reach them with the, the living water that Jesus is. And so that is the evangelism component. But then the discipleship component, again, when we look at the research, we see what percentage of, of confessing Christians believe that it's okay um, to cohabit instead of get married. When we look at the percentage of professing Christians that are struggling with pornography uh, or who their greatest issue in marriage is around sexuality or don't know how to love uh, their gay son or daughter, this is a, the discipleship issue of our day and age. Uh, and so I really have come to believe that it's essential for not just those of us who are kind of doing this work full time, and to have a biblical grasp of this, but we also need to equip every believer in how to engage in these issues because of the gospel and discipleship at, are at stake. Well, am I correct that for many people, uh, the, the engagement in, in uh, sexual immorality, if we call it that, uh, and, and addiction, sexual addictions and so forth, is, is less driven by the sex itself but by much deeper needs and wounds and brokenness and, and places that need healing in their soul. And the sexual activity is basically a, an attempt to escape that pain and, and narcotize it with dop dopamine. Yeah. Boy, you know something about this, don't you, Bill? That's, that's a good way to put it. And you're absolutely right. And this is why the traditional church approaches of um, just pray harder, memorize this verse, just stop doing this, don't work. Um, because it, it, with most of us, our sexual temptation is coming out of wounds, uh, coming out of um, pain, loneliness, depression, trauma from the past. And if we don't invite God into those wounds, uh, we really will feel like we're losing a, a, a battle of willpower. And so when we say God wants to reclaim the sexual area of your heart, it's not changing your behavior primarily. It's truly changing your identity hmm. so that your behavior becomes a new outflow, the fruit of that. And Joy, would you want to add to that? Yes, and I, I think we see that too as people are working through their sexual issues, that there's always a root or a deeper issue there. And so even to ask good questions to help that person try and figure out what that is, we, another word for it is trigger. So what is triggering someone to turn to something to cope, to numb with that pain? And I think to break free from a, a lot of these, these issues is to find those, 
root issues, what's triggering you and to, to start in that, yeah, start there. Well, Joy knows that uh, at the Hendricks Center, we have a program, a leadership development process we call LEAD, which is a five-day intensive uh, program for, say, a couple or a single person to come through and over five days to meet with uh, four different kinds of coaches, a, a personal and, if they're married, marriage coach, a family coach, a giftedness coach, a uh, career or ministry coach, and what we call a life dream coach. And so for five days, we kind of go hammer and tongs all the way from the family of origin issues and what I call the bad truth about the person, their brokenness, their uh, the, the, the things that have not worked out in their life, and the wounds all the way to the good truth, which has to do more with the giftedness and you know God's purpose for them. And one of the things we do in looking at the family of origin is, is go back all the way into childhood and see it again and again and again. You're corroborating what we see there is, is people have been hurt and wounded just by the circumstances of life and things that have been done to them or things they've engaged in. You know, at these tender years of five and seven and 12 and, and 18 and so forth. But those, those things were never processed. Nobody helped them deal with what does that really mean? What's that really about? And so they create a narrative, and often those narratives are very filled with lies. You know, the reason Daddy went away was because I wasn't a good child. Uh, you know, that that sort of thing. Uh, the the reason that um, you know I was sexually abused is because I'm just a piece of trash. I mean, and and they they then carry that narrative all the way into their conversion, say in college, and then they get called to come to Dallas Seminary and prepare for what God has for them, and they get into that, and we're talking decades later, but the seeds of what was sown there is, is now manifesting itself uh, you know, in, in inappropriate ways in relationships or in addictions and, and so forth. And what you talk about when you talk about rewriting the identity, rewriting those narratives is, is, is absolutely what we, we see in that program, and I feel certain you, you're seeing it before your eyes in the work that you're doing. Yeah, that sounds like a great program, by the way. So, uh, so hats off to you for the work that you're doing. Thank you, thank you. Um, another thing that struck me is, is you say about what we believe about sex um, reveals what we believe about God. Put that together for me. Um, I think I, I understand that, but you guys have obviously done a lot more thinking about that. Yeah, I think uh, another way that I put that is every sexual issue is also a spiritual issue right. and understanding that these two are not compartmentalized. Um, and I think it goes both ways where the foundations of what we believe about God is going to come out in our beliefs about sexuality. Um, so, for example, if we believe that God is the creator, if he's the definer of right and wrong and of truth, and he's a revealing God, then we look in scripture and we say, okay, we can discern a clear design for sex and for marriage in the scripture. And, uh, and that's a more compelling truth for me than what I might experience or feel or what the culture tells me. And so as we see more progressive Christianity going away from and those truths about God as creator, um, God is the one who defines morality, we see them changing their views on sexuality. And we have to see that 
the change first came in how they view God. Mm. And as we uh, rewrite our understanding of God, that's going to flow into every area of life, including what we think about marriage and divorce and sexuality. And, and so uh, we believe that it's really important that you have that conversation about who is God before you start arguing about your beliefs on sexuality. And so that's the first piece of it, Bill. But then the second piece I think is equally important that our sexual experiences also inform what we believe about God. And this is what we see happening so often in our culture today, where people um, you know, grew up in the church, they believe the Bible, and then they have a, a, a gay child who says, you know, I also believe in God, but this is who I am and you have to love me and God loves me. And that parent begins to go through something in psychology that we call cognitive dissonance. Mm. And now all of a sudden, one plus one doesn't equal two. And I have to look back at the scripture. I have to look back at what it means. Is God trustworthy? Does he love me? Uh, and we see this happening not only over issues of LGBT, but let's say you experience sexual trauma. Uh, where was God? If he's all loving and all powerful, why didn't he stop this? And so we believe a lot of the work of sexual discipleship is actually joining with people as they're experiencing that cognitive dissonance and revisiting if God is really who he says he is. Uh, and so, again, this is where we see that overlap of discipleship and sexuality, uh, that every sexual issue is connected to deeper spiritual questions and issues uh, that we want to get to. We don't want to have the conversation only on the sexual issue. We want to go to the deeper, more significant question and pain point. Yes. And with that, Julie, realizing how it takes time. So mm -hmm. for me, after I walked through that trauma, just sexual discipleship for me looked like going to Panera once a week with an older, wiser woman of the faith and reading God's word together because I had never read his word to understand what God says about sexuality. So it was a whole process of relearning and figuring out, okay, what was just being said by my church, but wasn't actual, actual part of scripture. And so we take our leaders through a whole e-course on this, on how to figure that out, how to get rid of what the world or maybe the church has historically said and figuring out, no, let's figure out what God says, and we call that sexual discipleship. That's excellent, because I think uh, there's a bit of a caricature in our in our culture that you know the 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 church are, is full of prudes, and we don't talk about sex, mm -hmm. and we're we're actually against sex, and God is mad because people are are you know having sex with each other, um, yeah. and and then the, in the culture the pendulum is sort of swung to where. Oh look, we're liberated, and and we have no shame around sex, and we have sex with everybody all the time, you know, as we as we choose. Um, it's a culture you said where people make sexual choices for themselves. Um, yet I meet people who are in that culture. That I mean, that's their cultural sort of yeah. worldview, if you will. And A, they don't strike me as happy, but if I engage them, it becomes very apparent they're not at all happy. And they're, they're, they're actually, you know, having tossed shame aside, you know, something darker has come than shame. It's, 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 it's like a deadness inside. Yeah. Boy, it's so true. Uh, and when we even look at the research, there was a study that just recently came out with Barna that was looking at loneliness 
And loneliness is the highest at the youngest generations right now. Mm. And you can say, oh, that's because of the smartphone or uh, the pandemic. And certainly those things um, play play into that. But when you look at millennials, you look at Gen Z, uh, they have rates of anxiety, depression, loneliness, suicidality that are just continuing to rise and I think a piece of this is that the prevailing message of the culture is that you were made for personal expression. You were made for sexual expression. Whereas what we see in scripture is actually you were made for intimacy. Mm. And sexuality is a piece of how we express intimacy within the covenant of marriage. But as people pursue personal expression and autonomy uh, at the sake of intimacy with God and with people, and uh, the fallout emotionally and psychologically is just going to be catastrophic. And that's what we're beginning to see all throughout Western culture. So you, you authentic intimacy really is, is I, if I could use this word is in a, you're in the, the healing business as it were. In other words, yeah. it's, it's very much <laughs> about restoring people's souls, if you will. For sure. Yeah. Like, I have no desire to talk about sex for the sake of talking about sex. I don't want to argue with people. Uh, I don't even want to argue with fellow Christians about what this Hebrew word means or Greek word means. And I, unfortunately, that's a lot of what's happening in these conversations. You know, what we're really called to is how do we meet people in their pain and draw them to the feet of Jesus mm-hmm. uh, for healing, for restoration, and most importantly, to to reconnect in their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, and when I say healing, I'm really getting at this sense of re- restoration to wholeness. What what I love yeah. about your work is that you're trying to put a positive dimension and vision for what sexuality can be for people. Uh, that, as you said, sexuality is not a problem to solve, but a territory to reclaim, that, that it can be life-giving for people. Yeah, I really believe that. And (laughs) we've seen it uh, 10 years of ministry now. Like I just every now and then wake up and say, God, you're amazing because we so imperfectly articulate this and he keeps meeting us. And as you know, just in your work uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary, when we faithfully live and teach the word of God, um, the Lord does great things. And uh, we need to apply that truth to sexual to sexuality and not be afraid, um, but just to um, winsomely and courageously carry God's truth to people that are desperate for it. Well, thank you so much for the work that you're doing. And uh, Julie Slattery, Joyce Scarca, thank you for being a part of the table today. This, this has really brought a lot of helpful, uh, not only information, but resources uh, to our listeners and I want to thank you for, for being part of this. Well, thanks for having us. It's been a joy. Yes, thank you, Bill. Good to see you. Well, it's great to see you again and to meet you, Julie. And again, the, their ministry is AuthenticIntimacy.com. And if you're a leader, you also want to look at the SexualDiscipleship.com. And I want to invite you to join us next time on the Table Podcast, where we discuss issues of God and culture. I'm Bill Hendricks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to The Table Podcast. Dallas Theological Seminary. Teach truth. Love well.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Areopagus Podcast, two clergy of different traditions. Father Andrew Stephen Damick and Michael Landsman discuss encounters of historic Christianity with other religious traditions. How do we engage with those who believe differently? Listen wherever you get your podcasts.